music truly is global. And along with music comes movement, choreography, and in many places of the world, various forms of marching and drill. We now live during a time when a group anywhere in the world, from Thailand to Brazil, can take its own unique sound and culture and look to the rest of the world to learn how to further develop their own style and what makes them special. DCI and its cores have become a standard across the world that groups are inspired by and that they aspire to be. And if it wasn't before, the internet has truly made drum corps international. So, Mallory, we're recording this on the anniversary of the first ever Celtic Band Festival here in Ireland. And that's actually when we met. Well, we met on the build up to that festival, but that was mm. the reason that we actually that we got to know each other and our, our mutual love of all things marching band and drum corps. Yeah, uh, we were. I remember Well, we were just chatting earlier and I was getting the, you know, the Facebook memory notifications um, mm. And it was a year ago today, I was getting all the notifications about all the pictures that I had been taking during the Celtic Band Festival. And I'm just, like, it was nice to think back on it. And at the same time, I just got kind of sad because I was like, oh, we don't get to do that this year. Yeah. And I mean, it's really relevant to this week's episode, too, because it's it's yeah. an international marching arts festival where we had last year, we had groups from around Ireland. We had groups from Canada. This year, we were due to have a group from the US, a group from Germany. Yeah, we had um, big plans this year. Yeah, there was big plans. I mean, there's big plans for the future, too. It's just ironic that we're recording an, an, an episode about the international activity today. And that's hap- it just happens to be the anniversary of that particular uh, festival. Yeah, of something that we were trying to make a very international event itself. And it will be, and it will yes. be. And some of the some of the guests on today's episode as well are hoping to come over to our festival in future years. And, you know, if we have any listeners out there that would like to come over to Ireland and play to Irish audiences, <laughs> you know, always us reach out. <laughs> Find us at the Global Band Room. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so listen, growing up in... Uh, Growing up in the US, I mean, I I feel I've heard a statistic before that like there's 22,000 marching bands or drum corps in the US between high school and college and middle schools. Yeah, yeah. That's a little bit of research done by DCI in the past about this sort of thing. And because you have such a big network and such a big community of, of bands and competitions over there. I, I, I guess there's probably no real sense of what's happening internationally. I mean, of course, we're always looking at what's happening in the U.S. here, but but I'm I'm sure you don't really need to do that. Yeah, it's like one of those um, oh, what is it? Is a two way mirror, one one way mirror where you can see in, but the people inside <laughs> can't see out. It's like tinted glass or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of what it feels like uh, because you know, growing up, I you know, I was watching marching band at least since I was a little kid because my there's a big big age gauge gap between me and my brother. And so I, he did marching band as well. So I've been watching marching band since I was a little kid, and I had no idea that it existed anywhere else outside the U.S. Uh, and then I got into drum corps, and I genuinely didn't realize that there was the activity outside of the U.S. still, which is odd because it's called Drum Corps International. So you'd figure at some point you would question, oh, is this actually an international event? And then I, I want to say it was towards the end of – End of the season, my second year. So I'm pretty sure I was with Blue Knights that year. And I remember a a, a group came over from, I want to say Japan. And I, I, I feel bad that I don't remember the name of them, but it was the first time that it registered with me that other kids in other parts of the world were just as excited about this event as I was. And the international part of it actually kind of clicked for me then. At like nearly the end of my marching career, I finally realized that, oh, people around the world actually do this as well. Without doubt, the rest of the world does look to the U.S. in terms of uh, progressive 
marching arts and design and so on. But there's a lot of interesting things for anyone that's uh, so inclined to go and find online. I mean, you're thinking of like the, and I always get this name wrong, but like the Takabana uh, marching band, the, the girls marching band from mm. J- Japan that are doing amazing stuff. And then there's, there's some incredible Brazilian bands and there's some really cool um, uh, marching bands around Ireland that are like like accordion yeah. bands. And, yeah. you know, so there's just, there's a different flavor and, and where it might not meet the same standards and, you know, definitely like the likes of the Takabana uh, marching band in, in Japan certainly does but some of the other bands around the world might meet the same standards of design and, and execution mm. they bring a culture and a difference that I think is just really really interesting um, so so it's definitely worth looking outwards from the US to to some of these other countries I feel like I say this every week, but this episode truly does have a lot of great guests and information. So here we go. Let's start close to my home with my neighbours in the UK. Hi, my name's Adam Thompson. I'm currently the chairman of Marching and Performing Arts United Kingdom, which is the overall not-for-profit, the charity that looks after the Drunker United Kingdom activity and the Winter Guard United Kingdom activity. Um, I took over the charity in 2006 and still here to this day. The vast majority of marching bands and drum corps in the UK have come out of youth activities, the Scouts, the Boys Brigade, um, the Sea Cadets. um, And if you look back, most of the drum corps that formed DC UK had all at some point in the very not not too distant past from 1980, been involved in one of the uniformed youth activities, as I say, Scouts, Boys Brigade, etc. Um, and what tended to happen, that was my history. I started in a scout band. Um, and part of the history of that was that the Scouts and the uniformed activities sort of had a set thing that you could do as a band that belonged to that activity. Um, for instance, with the Scouts, you were you had to wear Scout uniform. You couldn't wear um, any any other uniform at all. It had to be the Scout uniform. Um, so, way back then, there was a number of people that that wanted to expand, wanted to do things, wanted to do things differently. Um, and I think that's how a lot of the drum corps became drum corps. Most of them were just were, were very good marching bands, show bands, so not military style but they were show bands that became drum corps being influenced by the music that was being performed by the drum corps from DCI. So they, they all of them started as marching bands. Very seldom did anyone, and probably looking back in the history, you could probably count them on one hand, the amount of drum corps that have started as a drum corps. They've actually come from being a, a marching band, not necessarily a military-style marching band, but a show-style marching band, um, that then have become a drum corps because they've taken that style. Um, and way back to be a drum corps, one of the instruments you had to have, you had to use G bugles, which is where the name, which is where bugles came from. They were just larger bore trumpets, but they were pitched in the key of G. And it wasn't, no, how long ago it was now, probably 10, 15 years ago, maybe. Um, slowly things have loosened up. Um, Previously, when we first started, there, there was no pit area. So um, almost everything that's happened in the UK has happened as a result of the changes that have happened in the US. Um, we have almost followed suit a few years later, and that was the same with the instrumentation. Um, no, cores now do not have to use either in the UK or, or in the US G-bugles, and G-bugles have almost disappeared now. Um, from production, I don't know where you would ever find someone that would manufacture a G bugle now. Um, it's, 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 it's just it's because people just they just don't play with they just don't perform with them anymore. And if you look on all the all the different forums and websites, if you go back to the people that were involved in the activity in the 70s and the 80s, they are still very much um, they want to hear a core playing G bugles. But, but that's where the title bugle came from, as opposed to the military style bugle which was the smaller non-valved type instrument. These were valved instruments, um, in some cases only two valves. Um, and in a lot of those cases, one of those valves was a, a rotary valve. So it actually was, it wasn't a up and down, it, was a, it, was, it went round. Um, so um, 
they were all called bugles because they were larger bore instruments. So that's sort of where it all started, really. And that's why it became drum and bugle corps. Weirdly, most people, especially in the UK, would still affiliate a bugle with being a military instrument. These UK had at least between 40 and 50 member corps um, as it's when it started. It was the first year was about 12, but then lots of marching bands converted over to being a drum corps, converted over to having the G bugles. And at its height, there would have, there was at least 40, 45, 50 corps as part of DC UK. Um, as the months and years have, have gone on, the numbers have dwindled back in 2005, six, which is sort of the period when I took over, we were actually, DC UK was down to three member corps. Um, and that was a hiatus there as to what we do and do we continue. Um, thankfully, the 30th anniversary, I think it was, or the 25th anniversary, it was, it was an anniversary of DC UK. We made a decision to rebrand the activity. The, the, the old logo, which DC UK uses, which was um, modelled on the DCI logo, um, was brought back because the logo had been changed by the previous administration. We bought the old logo back. And that year we went from three cores to I think we had 18 or 19 um, when we celebrated our 30th anniversary. Um, and we had a big influx of members, etc. We're now hovering around 10 to 12 members of DCUK each year, um, which when you look at all the other activities that go on and the other marching band um, associations, we're doing all right. Because once again, we're only looking at drum corps. We don't cater for military style bands. Um, so they, they would never become a member of DCUK because this, this, we're not set up for that sort of organization. So um, between 10 and 12 corps is our, is our average now over the last two or three years, um, which we'd love to have more, but we've got all bar about one drum corps competes in DCUK. So we're we're happy that we're getting the drum corps want to compete within DCUK. A lot of them will do other activities as well and compete in other um, genres and they'll compete within the British Youth Band Association, which is great because we want the corps to go out and perform in front of the public. Um, and the more options they get, we offer four competitions and a finals each year. Um, that's not much when you consider the amount of time and effort and work a corps puts in. So, but from DCUK's point of view, say it has dropped in its heyday, say 40, 50 units, and we're now between 10 and 12. That still makes us the largest drum corps association outside of North America. So that's something that is still nice for us to be able to say um, that we are that, but say it's, it's not huge, but for the size of the country and the number of other activities that kids can get involved in, it's, we're not doing too badly. When I speak to people in the US about drum corps, they'll most likely hear my accent and ask me about the European activity. Having only found drum corps myself in recent years and through DCI, ironically I know a lot more about the US activity. Alan and other guests on this episode have been there from the start however, so I asked them about the development of this European-wide competitive circuit. About 10 years ago, I think it was, there was a group of people in Holland that the Dutch activity was not going very well. Um, Drum Corps Holland was down to about three member units. So a similar pattern to what happened, happened in the UK. But there was a group of Dutch guys who formed an indoor um, Drum Corps Europe, and they used to get units to perform indoors. And after two or three years, um, they started to move outdoors and the indoor bit disappeared within, I think it was a three or four years, the indoor side of it actually went and they went back to doing outdoor competitions. But the way they did that was to brand themselves as Drum Corps Europe um, and um, set up a judging association. And over the, over the early years of that, when they set up the judging association, um, DC UK went into discussions with the guys that are running Drum Corps Europe and said, well, hold on, this, this might not be a bad thing. We can all, you know, we can get Germany involved and France and Belgium, all that have got small activities, but we, why don't we just have one judging system to cover the whole of Europe? So that was really how DC then started to take off. So the, the, the European side of the activity, as we all then, all the judges were trained on the same system, so then judges could then very easily travel between countries 
to compete, to, sorry, to, 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 to judge people, etc. Um, and Drum Corps Europe and the team that ran the Drum Corps Europe at that time, that was their main aim, was to bring in a central judging system. And as a result of that, the European Championships became the culmination of the European Drum Corps season. And in most cases, there was in September a, a German Championships, a Dutch Championships, a UK Championships. And then the final event of the year was the European Championships. And because everybody had been judged using the same systems throughout the whole season, there had always been a problem in the past with, with one-off ad hoc competitions with a judging system that no one had been judged against before. It almost seemed like potluck who was going to win. Whereas this way, everyone had been judged the same system. It was the same pool of judges. And so Drum Corps Europe became the end of season events. So the finals became the end of season event. They didn't actually run any other competitions. It was They literally just ran the judging association and then the European championships. Um, and that's really how it's evolved. And it's evolved like that. And it, that started to get bigger and more units were getting involved. Um, DC UK were very much involved, not in the early stages of Drum Corps Europe. That was these Dutch guys who had the vision to try and start something. But three or four years after they'd set that up, we discussed it with them and we became part of that group and we used their judges and it meant they had access to UK judges. We had access to Dutch, German, French, Italian judges, etc. Um, and I think that's really helped the activity grow because especially when you've got you know, in Holland, there's two, maybe three cores. It was a struggle for them. They actually had UK units that they could compete against. Um, we were once again competing like for like so that if, you were being judged you sort of had a rough idea that actually well they're scoring this and we're scoring that so actually we're actually within the ballpark of them because it was the same judging system and the same judges and so drum corps europe sort of carried on like that and then three four years ago the guys that ran drum corps europe as it was decided they didn't want to run anymore and um that was their decision to make and that was fine. It was their organization. It sort of got handed over um, to other people to run. And then last year, um, the, all the European drum, drum corps associations. So that was us, the IMBA, the, the um, uh, Dutch music games, the German open and the Restada music competition in Germany. We all got together and said, actually, we should be running this event because we're the, European activities. So in 2020, we should have been running a European Championships, which is being organised by all of the European Drum Corps Associations. However, we all know what happened about 2020. Um, but the plan will be in 2021, there will be a European Championships run by each of the European Associations. So they, they've all got a vested interest to make sure it's right for their cause and also right for the spectators. Um, and uh, we have a great end of season, which is run by the people that are running the rest of the summer seasons in their own country. Oisín Malloy is the chairperson of the Irish Marching Band Association and has played a central role in the growth of the activity here in Ireland, as well as Europe. Having brought his own drum corps Invermore Performance Ensemble to DCI Finals in 2019, I wanted to get his thoughts on the similarities and differences between the activity on both sides of the Atlantic. The one thing that needs to be taken into account from the very outset between DCI and, and European activity is the variety in sizes. Um, we're not blessed with numbers here. Yes, we do have large-scale drum corps, uh, but we also have drum corps kind of from 20 members, 40 members, 60 members, up to kind of the biggest um, drum corps like Kids Grove Scouts, Ubal, you know, the larger drum corps we have. But there's such a variety in sizes, the European activity really had to adapt to, to suit that. But I mean, bottom line, since since I started my journey in, in this whole activity, I've been through a multitude of judging systems and models, and I've always worked hard to try and fully understand the methodology behind each system but when i look back on it and I, I had to think about this basically it's down to two common principles and it's what you see and what you hear okay and then within what you see and what you hear it's down to two more principles which is content and achievement and that basically means the content of what you're doing and how well you're achieving it um, so every system certainly that i've been through 
have all boiled down to those principles. Um, yes, they all make adjustments for the environment that they're judging in, but those core principles always remain the same as far as I understand. Um, so when the judging system obviously is tweaked to suit the environment that they're judging in, the European system is very good at being able to manage the diversity of European cores all under one system. So you can very fairly have a drum core of 25 members fairly competing against a drum core of 120 members. You know, so obviously the big number captions like the big effect captions are going to be a much harder sell for the smaller cores. But when you get down to the individual sampling on the field, a, a, a kid marching in a 20-member drum corps can achieve every bit as much as a kid marching in a 120-piece drum corps. So the European system is very good at, at, at that and have adapted it very well. And it works. It works for what we have, you know. Um, personally, my focus has always been to perform to and entertain the audience. Um, they're the ones who give up their time, their money to come out and support what we do. The role of the judges is to evaluate how well everybody does that. You know, our job as a as a performing unit is to provide a pleasing production that the members enjoy performing and the audience enjoy watching. And then it's up to the judges to evaluate that. But I always tell the kids or the, the adults in, in our band, in our court, never never focus on the judge, never perform to the judge, you're performing to your audience. The judge will do his own job off to the side, you know, but we're not there for them as such. The one thing I do see different in Europe is I find the European cores are really, in the last maybe 10 years, are really getting a sense of their own identity. Um, In that during the 80s and the 90s, there was a lot of cores might have been trying to emulate what was being done in DCI only only to learn the hard way that it was very, very difficult to emulate that with much smaller numbers. And it's, it's not a full-time tour. It's still very much a weekend activity. Um, so I think the European cores have really found their own identity now and they're starting to come up with new kind of artistry and creativity that that you might not see in, in America either, you know? So obviously what you see in DCI is magic and it's it's top tier but if you come to say European Championships you'll see something different We'll be coming back to Europe after the break but before that I wanted to take a small detour to South America and Brazil to introduce you to Leandro Pasquale He's a fantastic band director and organiser who having marched in drum corps brought his new experience and skills home to develop the activity for kids in Sao Paulo so in 1998, my band director and my high school band director uh, bring to us um, a tape with uh, the 1992 DCI finals. Uh, most bands from here, they they are like parade bands and like stop and play, you know. Right. So they they march down the street. Then in some place, in some moment, they just stop, play some th- some songs and returning to to finish the parade um the most bands here uh they are from schools but like they are they don't have money from the government so they have to to run uh and try to collect the money to you know to pay the buses to pay the food so it's really hard and the people here are really poor as all all the south american people uh it's really hard, so the, the people they don't pay to pl- to march with the band or to play in the band. It's mm-hmm. all free, you know. So okay. you don't have to pay for the uniform, you don't have to pay for the food, you don't have to pay for nothing, and that things makes makes the the things more more difficult, you know, because everything must come from from the the board of directors. So the first core I saw was Medicine Scouts, you know. The City of Angels show was oh, really, really cool to see, you know. And then I just put in my mind, I, I need to do these, you know. I need to march with these guys. I need to learn how to do these. And because the culture is really different, you know. Here is just samba, just, you know, Brazilian and South American rhythms, salsa, samba, 
So it's really hard to learn the rudimental uh, percussion and to play like they if you don't have the culture, you know? So it was really hard to me. So in 1999, my band director decided to bring to Brazil the some some core directors, and he was in contact with the Madison Scouts. And that year, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but it was like uh, uh, Southwind and Capital Sound Drum Bugle Corps, the both corps has a partner with the uh, Madison Scouts. So Pat Seidling, he's a BD director. Uh, he was the Southwind band director, core director. And Keith G was the Capital Sound core director. And mm. both came to Brazil. Pat, uh, he, he's a percussionist and mm -hmm. Keith was a trumpet player. So both came to Brazil to work with my band. And so every year they, they just came out and work like clinics for the two weeks. Uh, so we learned so much from them. So when I finished uh, the high school in 2002, I decided to audition to DCI. And that moment, Keith G was living in Brazil. And so he helped me a lot with this. I sent my tapes for a lot of drum cores in there. And then I decided to come to US and start that dream, you know? 2003, I marched with the Blue Stars and was a really, really, for sure, the best, best experience of my life, you know, as a musician, because it was really hard to me. I didn't speak English. Uh, was really hard to learn English and also to learn the techniques because was, you know, I played marimba in the Blue Stars, so I had to learn there how to play with the Stevens technique. Actually, I, I was playing with the Burton and the traditional grip from the marimba, so I had to learn another grip there the, during the audition. Uh, so it was really fun, and I learned so much from them, you know. Uh, the, the name was uh, Visions of Blue. It was really fun. We played, uh, our opener was Gevorkna, uh, Gevorkna Overture, I think, was the same, yeah, was the same, uh, the same music, same song Cavaliers uh, did in 1992, so it was really fun. And that year we won uh, the DCI Division Three. so for me it was really cool because, yeah, we, I was my first time in the U.S., learn English in that time, learn about drum corps that time. And we, we did one, you know, we just got the first place. So it was really cool. When I talked to Pat Scheidling, he, he was in that time, uh, Phantom Regiment director. And he told me, Hey, next year you, you must come to, to Phantom, you know? Cool. And I was really decided to come to, to Phantom, but the, for, for us in that time, the dollar was really, really expensive and was really hard to pay the, the, all the tour and all the things. So I didn't get to, to do the things for 2004. But, you know, I, I, I think about this because this start a new, a new cycle here in Brazil because I was here in 2004 and mm -hmm. Here happened in 2004 the first once be South American Championship. Yeah, so I could I could help a lot of bands here. Mm. So was really good to me too. And after me, uh, three three students, three students mine, uh, March in DCI. You know, cool. so it was really cool. Yeah, 2009 was Douglas. He was marching Pacific Crest, this narrow line. And then Thiago was marching Caballeros from DCEA uh, in 2012, I think. And then Gabriel Gabriel was marching with Colts in 
Finding Drum Corps is brought to you by DCI Experience Tours. Whether you're a fan, alumni, or a music educator looking to bring your students on an experience that they'll never forget, DCI Experience Tours have packages for everyone who plans to come to DCI Finals. DCI Experience Tours are hosted by Keith Kelly, host of the Finding Drum Corps podcast and operated by Celtic Horizon Tours. With over 25 years experience in individual and group travel, Celtic Horizon Tours will make sure that you have the best possible experience to suit your needs. Join Keith and the DCI Experience team for exclusive backstage access, VIP dinners, rehearsal walkthroughs, and much more. To see what we're putting together for 2021, or to start working on a custom performance and education tour for your students, head over to CelticHorizonTours.com forward slash DCI Experience, or find us on social media at DCI Experience Tours. Before the break, we heard about the activity in Europe and Brazil. Later, we're going to visit Canada and then return to Europe. But before that, I wanted to talk with the man who introduced me to the activity. In fact, he's introduced people around the world to the activity. John Donovi marched with the Velvet Knights in the 1980s, and today he continues his magical mystery tour, traveling the world, working with international partners, promoting and growing drum corps. My, my role at DCI uh, since around 2006 has been to, uh, to be the uh, director of business development. And in that role, my, my job is to manage the corporate sponsorships and strategic partnerships uh, of DCI. So that would in, include the uniform companies and the instrument brands and drumsticks and uh, the, the various companies that want to reach the audience that DCI delivers. And then from the strategic partnership standpoint, it's partnering with groups like Bands of America and Percussive Arts Society, Drum Corps United Kingdom, the IMBA, uh, in establishing relationships that allow us to share the best practices and to create a stronger bond uh, between you know, our organization and other like organizations that might uh, complement what we do or vice versa. And um, it's been an exciting uh, part of my life is to be able to meet so many great people who share this passion for the activity and to uh, all kind of work towards a, a common goal. Tell me a little bit about how your role then works internationally. Um, I've heard a number of people, I think, I think I've heard you mentioning it, but I've also heard other people mentioning it, that part of your role is putting that eye in DCI. Um, most people sort of uh, that are involved in drum corps sort of see their own cores and the cores they're competing against, but they don't really see sort of the global impact that DCI has and how it's in, how it's affecting and, and influencing uh, other marching arts uh, activities around the world. Because of your role and because of this global business development role, you actually get to see that firsthand. Tell me a little bit about how DCI works internationally and how it um, extends itself internationally. Sure. Uh, Drum Corps International, had, around 2012, had really started to look beyond our own borders as we were really the, the internet was starting to connect the world much more um, rapidly. And so we were, we were seeing that there were uh, fledgling drum corps in parts of China and Thailand. And uh, I, around 2013, I had no idea. I'd been going to Ireland for years on vacations and had no idea that drum corps existed in Ireland. And, and it mm. was because of social media and the internet that I realized that, wow, there's this opportunity for us to connect. And so we put a, a strategy together to to start to reach out to organizations, associations around the world uh, to say, look, how, how can we help you? You know, what can we do to help you? And that has led to us now running uh, or co-producing events in over 15 different countries. Uh, this, this summer of 2020, that uh, we were scheduled to have more than 11 international groups coming to Indianapolis for DCI World Championships Week, the Sound Sport Competition, and the uh, the Drumline Battle event. 
Um, that's unprecedented. Uh, you know, in the past, we might have seen a group here and there, one, you know, one from the UK, maybe another year, one from Japan, but never where we were going to see, you know, double digits. Uh, and that's really kind of where we're at. We have been spending the last five, six years in developing that. And now it's starting to, you know, come to uh, come to fruition, the, the dream of let's let's really, truly make it drum corps international. And um, yeah. it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you, you can see every year that there's another drum corps or international group that, that go and it's they're their first representatives from their country that actually have made it to, to finals. Um, I mean, you know, I'm thinking of Invermore, obviously from my own country, from Ireland, uh, Ushi Malloy, who's on the podcast as well, heading over last year and just being that first Irish drum corps after years of DCI actually investing into Ireland and, 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 and helping to support the activity here true sound sport and your own involvement and lots of trips over to Ireland to help try and support it here. Last year, we actually got our first Irish drum corps two finals. And I mean, I had absolutely nothing to do with being there. I didn't help them organize it. I didn't, I wasn't on the field with them, but I got really emotional seeing that. Uh, I, I, it was amazing on Thursday at prelims to see all the Irish flags. I think it was like a hundred Irish flags waving in the stands and uh, to know that the dream of the entire country was uh, uh, resting on this group's uh, performance that, that moment and to reflect back on everything that it took to get there. And there's so many people that contributed to that moment and they're going to catapult Ireland um, to the next step. I mean, there's already a group from Dublin. The Vikings have uh, expressed interest in coming over in future years. Uh, we have, Cope uh, produced events in Ireland um, under the Soundsport brand, uh, so it it's it's just one of those things that kind of ignites uh, a bigger and better thing. It it very much like what happened on that weekend in in Athlone when we right. made those individual participants believe they could do something. It's the same thing with Ireland, and it's, it's just banding in general. Is that Ireland now believes they can do it? That the yeah. world believe they could do it and now they're believing it. And when you believe yourself, you're, you're going to move much quicker and you're going to make more progress faster. And that's the, that's the phase that Ireland is in right now. And it's so exciting to watch. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a great news story. I think in recent years, the the growth and the um the the increasing activity around the IMBA and all of the bands that are trying things out for the first time. It's it's been great, and and actually a big part of that. So to move on to another question, a big part of the growth for the IMBA and that build that that new confidence that they've found in themselves and the new groups coming to it and the increased numbers at competitions. A big part of that has actually been the sound sport program and um, to, to a certain extent, drumline battle as well. You've actually been at the forefront of helping to develop that concept and bring it around internationally. Um, for anyone that hasn't really heard about sound sport, or maybe they have and they think that they know what it is, you know, they think it's small drum corps. Um, it really isn't. So you'd be one of the best people to actually speak to what sound sport is, why it was developed and how it's actually helping because I can tell you firsthand, it is helping people in Ireland, for instance, organize events and competitions. But how is it? Is it helping people around the world to actually get involved with DCI and develop their marching programs? Right. Well, first, first and foremost is that groups uh, around the world do what I did when I was a kid. They look at a video and they see the top group, the Blue Devils or the, the Cadets, the Cavaliers and Carolina Crown, and they they see this amazing performance recorded on world championship finals night with mm. students that are an average age of 19 and a half years old. Uh, many of them are music majors in college. So they're studying music. They've already had years upon years of formal training and they've dedicated an entire summer uh, to perfecting this 10 minute, 11 minute show. Um, that's unfair for someone in Thai Thailand to see that and go, how can we possibly ever do that? Hmm. It, it's so far away from where we're at right now. How can we possibly do that? So the, the barrier to entry for marching arts organizations, um, there was a barrier. The barrier was to be like a DCI finalist drum corps. There was a lot of cost. There was a lot of commitment in terms of resources and education. And, uh, 
there, we're, the rest of the world catching up, but in a lot of places in the world, it's not quite there. So hmm. through SoundSport, we said, how could we create a little bit of an, uh, a boost, like a booster program so that you can get started and you can have success regardless of your, if you, if you don't have all the resources, you don't have all the money or the education background, can you still get started and then build from there? Uh, and so that's what we started to do. We, we launched a program in Shanghai, China. We had uh, success with programs in Indonesia and South America, Central America, um, and even here domestically in the United States and, and definitely in Ireland. And mm. so what we did was we said, let's, let's look at all the things that are keeping you from being a full-fledged DCI drum corps. And let's, let's relax some of the, rule, the rules. Uh, let's you know, groups are smaller around the world. They don't have 154 uh, people. Uh, so let's let's make it available for groups that have 10 or 15 or 20 people. Uh, then then let's take those 10 or 15 or 20 people and let's give them a more intimate performance space. And so instead of performing on a 100-yard American football field or a soccer pitch or a GAA pitch, uh, let's let's create a space that's a little bit more conducive to show off their talents and not make them look like um, a little speck out there in the middle of the right. stadium. Uh, so, so in doing those things, we basically just gave those groups a license to explore, you know, what they were good at and then grow from there. So anybody listening, the first step is just whatever you have, go do something with that and, and, mm. and max out what you currently have. And then, you know, aspire to be the next level. There might be five, six, seven, ten levels between what you are right now and being a DCI World Finalist drum corps. That's okay, but you can't skip over all those steps, you know. So right. one <laughs> is get out there and do something. If you're a town band in, you know, in the co- County Ross Common, Ireland, and mm-hmm. you've never marched before, but you're really good at sitting down, great. Your first step might be in your band hall to play a tune and then maybe stand up and just move a little bit within the space of your chair. And that's your first phase. And then maybe the next phase is, you know what? The St. Patrick's Day parade is coming. Let's see if we can go down the the middle of the main street and play and move at the same time. And then let's see if we can expand on that, you know, in the next few months and and just continue to to grow from there. And um, just kind of be the best at what you can be at the level you are. Mm-hmm. always with an aspiration you know I, I think everyone that's that's what's so great about the marching arts it's all about setting a goal and trying to achieve more uh and and so the sound sport program gives you um that ability to you know carefully work your way up uh the ladder and there's been some really big success stories um from the sound sport program so I, I mean i think like i'm safe to say ireland is starting to become one of those success stories but within the us even um there has been cores that used to exist as a as a full size drum core that have started to come back and take part in the sound sport activity and build themselves just like you're saying one step at a time increasing the amount of movement and the complexity from year to year growing the program program getting more people involved um one of the, the something that 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 really something that opened my eyes in recent years was um finding out just how many small bands there is in the USA i tell you as as an international person as as someone from outside of the US we always sort of think of the US and we think of these big big bands with you know um with with, with the best of uniforms and the best of instruments and what we don't realize a lot of the time is that there's as many if not more proportionately small bands and drum corps and performance ensembles around the US as there is here you know um and they can take part in sound sport and grow their programs as part uh, as much as we can internationally too yeah i think the stat is that there's somewhere around the 22,000 high school band programs in the united states uh wow. there are uh, many, many that have, uh, in the state of Texas, there's groups that have four or 500 members in their band. Mm. You know, uh, there are others that are somewhere around 150 to 200. And then the rest, the other great majority, probably 80% of the groups are under hundred members. And uh, it isn't common to find rural schools that have, uh, 20, 30, 40 members. So yeah, yeah th- those small groups are trying to fill up the sound of a large, um, uh, football field um 
there, there's other options for them to kind of find their place in a more intimate, you know, setting. Um, mm-hmm. So the sound support program, it just kind of gives them a, a stepping stone to work with. And I think what I've seen, what I've seen from kids that have got involved with SoundSport as well is the idea that they have participated in a DCI program, you know, that they're getting that award or that medal or that digital medal, um, whatever it is, they're getting something from DCI. And that means they're getting the same feedback that, you know, uh, Phantom Regiment are getting, you know, they're, they're, they're participating in that same uh, organization and i think that means so much to either a small world school in uh in in the u.s or to a group in taiwan or to a group in ireland i mean getting to to participate in a dci program it's just so cool yeah i you know the the judges that judge sound sport are the same judges that judge dci world championships you know so you're you're getting the same uh you know type of feedback um you know but most sound sport teams are not really that much into the competitive aspect. Uh, mm-hmm. Some are, um, but, but the sound sport program also affords you the opportunity. If, if, if competition, if you're not quite feeling up to, you know, getting a score or a placement, you can be part of an exhibition category that allows you just to get out and get the feedback from the judges. So you can continue to improve without the pressure of a, a score or a ranking or a rating. And we see a lot of groups uh, in Ireland was the very first to uh, take advantage of that category that we had created. And it was a, a small uh, tin whistle band. It was an elementary school tin whistle band. And mm. we, we hosted an event and they said, well, really don't want our kids to feel embarrassed or intimidated. So I don't think we're going to come. It's, it's just not going to work. And we said, nah, come on, come and do the event and just play, just give them the experience of playing. And they did. And uh, there was no scores and there was no you know competitive angle to it, but boy, mm-hmm. their parents were proud to see them on the same stage with all the other groups. And I think, you know, in future years, they'll come back and, you know, eventually feel the confidence that they can, if they choose to do the competitive route, great. If they don't, they can, uh, they can still, uh, participate in the concept without the worry of, uh, you know, the intimidation of scoring and, and that. So, you know, the flexibility is again, we, we, one of the benefits of traveling the world and seeing band programs on, you know, all sides of the oceans, we've been able to take the best aspects of each because there's some great things that go on in indonesia and there's some great things that go on in thailand and great things that go on in ireland i can guarantee you that there's a lot of that is in the dci sound support program uh it, it, is, it is by no means just a u.s based uh, uh concept it has been it's a world concept and it has been carefully um crafted with the needs obviously we can't be all things to all people but we surely have looked at what makes the most sense you know across the board so we can get as much participation worldwide as we possibly can we just don't want to create any barriers that keep people from not participating okay let's continue on our own journey now This time we're heading to Alberta, Canada to talk with one of the finest marching bands in the world, the Calgary Stampede Show Band. I asked Ryan Hancock to tell me a little about the band and its relationship with Drum Corps International. It's very, very influential in what we're doing here and it hasn't always been that way. I'd say that probably started in the the mid to late 2000s um, with the programs here in Calgary, but huge, huge influence. It's always been something you look up to. Um, I remember when my sister was first in the Roundup Band, the, the junior high group for teenagers, I think one of the first or maybe the second tour she went on, they actually joined on the drum corps circuit for a little bit. They did kind of the pre-show fun marching band thing before the, the drum corps show. And that would have been my first introduction to drum corps, you know, not really getting it, understanding it. Um, in so many ways, you know, my favorite group would have been the Roundup Band that performed, not the Blue Devils or Santa Clara. I just couldn't comprehend and understand all the the stuff that was going on. But as I grew up, um, being in the different groups, yeah, you you look towards those drum corps, the you know the All Stars, um, the days before YouTube. You're looking for different videos on the internet. I'm getting CDs 
or DVDs to to watch this amazing perfect marching band thing, and then um, you know as the world's able to come together through the internet and so many different things, you get closer and closer, and then you know one day you're in a drum corps, you go and tour, and you're like right up in there, and you realize hey, this is something that I might actually be able to do. So you you book an audition, you go down, you have your struggles with the audition process in many different ways. And then, um, you know, you're finally able to, to get in there eventually when it's kind of like a, a dream come true to be in, you know, that big marching music um, extravaganza, like, you know, the big leagues of the marching band. Students will say, hey, I'm going to audition. So we, you know, we say, great. We try to offer that place for them for them to come and practice their skills as they're auditioning. We won't plan to write them into the the summer field show. Um, and, you know, we, we hope they, they make it. And even more so, we want them to go, we want them to learn, and we want them to come back and teach. Um, that's all part of the, the cycle, is having those people go somewhere else, learn as many skills and different pieces of knowledge in the marching arts as possible, and then come up and teach us how to do that. And that's, um, that's been such a huge part of our success the last 10 or 15 years is um, people leaving, coming back with knowledge and then passing it on to that next generation. Musicians traveling from around the world to be part of the drum corps activity in the US has become ever more common. One group that has many of its performers do this and is very well known thanks to its many US tours is U-Ball Drum Corps from the Netherlands one of the oldest and most successful drum corps in Europe. The organization today is a, uh, uh, an organization that consists of three uh, units, which is the, the open class core, if, if, yeah, if we compare it to the DCI, let's say that it will be the open class core, or rather a senior core because it's age 16 and up. Uh, we have a feeder core program, which is Young Yubal, which is age eight through 16. We're changing that into 17 next year. And then uh, before that, we created a, um, a, a program which is called Music Kids for, uh, for kids aged six through eight, five through eight, yeah, six through eight, uh, which is more like an appreciative way of learning about music. Uh, they do get to, to play instruments, uh, but it's like a preparatory um, a preparing program for uh, joining the feeder corps. And then obviously we hope that they will stay throughout uh, those years, and then age into the uh, the open class core. So right now the the U ball consists of about seventy five members, I think, seventy five eighty uh, active members, marching members, and then young U ball somewhere around fifty, and then we have about twenty five in the uh, in the training program music kids. Within the the young U ball core, they usually start young. They don't come to the core when they're like 14 or 15 or 16 because then they, they'd mm. rather go straight into the senior core into U-Ball. Um, and obviously there's a lot of other interests for these this age group uh, nowadays, a lot more than when we were young, um, and even sports. Um, but yeah, so, so we, yeah, we'll, we'll try and, and, and keep them active and, and interested in the, uh, in the drum core uh, activity. Uh, Yuba was formed in 1911, so we're 109 years old right now. Um, so together with Kids Grove, I think they, they're, they're beat by a year or so. We're the two oldest active drum corps on the globe, I bet. And and I know when we come to the States on these tours, uh, this is always in like the, the announcements. We always put it in like the speaker text. Um, and it kind of... Uh, yeah, the, 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 in America, it works really well. They're, whoa, whoa, they're, they're way older than the most cores over there. Yeah, so we started as a, a drum and fife uh, group, uh, as, as many bands started in the old days. Um, so a couple of uh, flute players, some boys. It used to be a, a, an all-male group until the late 1970s. Um, so the, the, there's a Dutch organization, the CJMV, which is the equivalent for the YMCA, and that's where we find our roots. So the original first uh, group um, was invited to play at, at like a local theater um, performance and add some music. And yeah, they thought it was so cool. So they uh, decided to, uh, to keep going. And then in, in the 20s, uh, uniforms were added. Um, 
before that, people you know, the members all performed in their own clothes. Um, and then Yubo became one of the, the, the trend-setting drum and five chords in, 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 in Europe through the years. Um, in the Second World War, we had to shut down the corps because uh, the Germans decided or announced that Yubo was seen as a threat to, to the state. So rehearsals or performances or anything was, uh, was forbidden. Obviously, they did rehearse in secret. So shortly after uh, Liberation Day, uh, they, they performed again. In the 50s, uh, the corps grew to well over 150 members. Um, in fact, Young Yubo was formed in 1932 already because the Yubo became too big to keep adding more people. So that's when we already decided to form the, the feeder corps, the, the junior corps. In the 50s, as I said, they, we grew uh, to well over 150 uh, members. And it was still uh, uh, drums and fives, and we added some bugles. And uh, together with the other five corps, um, you will organize, organize the, uh, the national five days throughout, uh, throughout the country, some, which was sort of the, the first competition activity that we, we were involved in. And then in the 60s, that's when the major change uh, occurred. One of our former members, uh, Wim Schouten, had moved, immigrated to the States, into Pennsylvania. And he got us into contact with the, um, uh, the American drum corps circuit, and especially also with uh, Getson. So we, uh, we bought um, a set of um, uh, Getson um, bugles in, in uh, brass instruments in the key of G. And I think we were the first uh, drum corps ever uh, outside of the United States and Canada to ever use this type of brass instruments, which was quite a riot in, in Europe because nobody was used to that. Well, besides doing the shows here in, in, in Europe, so either in the Netherlands or traveling to, uh, to Germany every year and occasionally to England, um, a tour to the US adds as a, uh, yeah, a big uh, extra to, to our activity. First of all, we, we get the experience to compete and be among the top of the, uh, the, the drum corps activity in the States. Um, but it's, a, it's also a learning thing. Our members do go to all these warm-ups because we're, we're usually on first if we're in the show. So they get plenty of time to see all the, the top drum lines and horn lines from the top cores in the in the lot, as we say, um, and for them that's a that's a great learning experience too. You heard John Denovi mention SoundSport earlier. My very first exposure to the drum corps activity was SoundSport, a program which I didn't know at the time was brand new. This program has given so many groups around the world the opportunity to be part of a DCI event and has opened the doors to musicians around the world. From US football fields to Irish castles and Lithuanian arenas, this flexible activity has the potential to produce great ensembles, performers and fans the world over. It's been the cornerstone to much of our success over in the last five years, I'd say. It's allowed us to, rather than having bands and, and small groups trying to emulate something much bigger, that's just impossible to do with small numbers. Um, they've found their own niche within SoundSport and it's really working for us. You know, it's allowed us to open our doors to a huge variety of groups rather than just traditional kind of marching bands and drum chords. So it's really working for us. SoundSport has been this great discovery for us and you don't need to understand what it is. You need to understand this is how much time you have, this is how much space you have, and that's kind of the only rule. Um, for us here in Calgary, it's that opportunity to get our foot in the door, that opportunity to be a part of the, the larger festival. From a DCUK point of view, SoundSport is really going to be our big future, I think. The, we, we need to build our activity from the bottom, um, and uh, the SoundSport genre makes huge sense to getting units. There are lots and lots of small marching band units, small performing units in the United Kingdom. That's what I'd like to build in the UK, that type of thing. So I think that would help us still build the big drum corps would come from that until we have that though. So from a UK point of view, I see sound sport as massively important for us to continue to ensure we have an activity in 10, 15 years time.
Before we finish up, let's hear from one of the international cars that had hoped to be at DCI finals this year, Beach's Performance Ensemble from the UK. Beach's Performance Ensemble, we are based in um, an area called Great Bar in Birmingham. Uh, always have been uh, from that area. Beaches comes from the local estate, the Beaches estate, where the band obviously was formed, so we've kept that part of the name. To be perfectly honest, we weren't a drum corps in Birmingham in the 70s. Um, we was a, a traditional uh, drum and bugle band uh, as a boys brigade. Um, and we literally did play uh, bugles and then E-flats, non-valve, trumpets, um, girls brigade joined. Eventually we went to valved instruments, but we were predominantly a show band rather than a drum corps. And we we didn't really compete that often. We kind of dipped our toe in drum corps, but um, we did tend to compete on another circuit, uh, BYBA, uh, British Youth Band Association, which is for more of a, a general band. You can be a traditional, you can be normal, a show band, you can be a drum corps. It kind of caters for everybody. But eventually we dipped our toe a few times, but um, when I took over running the corps, which I was only doing for one year, <laughs> and that, that's uh, over 11 years ago, um, we decided that was something that we wanted to aim at. And then I think it took us about four years before we actually took that leap and felt that the members were not good enough to compete to win, but good enough to be happy with their performance. Um, because to a certain degree, the difficulties is different. And we, we never used to have a colour guard. And that's a, quite a big thing in drum corps. So, yeah, then we took the plunge. And we currently... Marching both circuits we have done for the last two or three years. For me, you have to remember where your roots were. If it wasn't for the other organisation, we we probably wouldn't have become a drum corps. So we like to keep, we like to go back. We like to play a couple of shows in the season, um, just to show our support more than anything. The influence DCI has on beaches and and of a course in the UK, it's really the inspiration. It just gives us food for thought. And I think it's something that we've always um, aspired to the, the US course. I mean, obviously we're part-time musicians. We, you know, a lot of uh, our musicians in our core, brass players, they can read just about, but you know, they do it because they love to compete. They love to make, uh, the music and they just love the, the family atmosphere but um, they're not professional musicians like uh, obviously a lot of the uh, members in the US uh, but yeah it's the inspiration it gives us new ideas new boundaries to explore we have lots of visuals and I think that comes from seeing what's um, happens over the over in the US especially with props as well Props, um, we've seems to go bigger and bigger every year with our props. And I think the inspiration has been from some of the cores in the UK, uh, sorry, in the US, um, and not trying to be the same as them. Obviously, it's completely different. I mean, it, it, um, just finances is completely different. The members want to go and march in a core in the US. We were going to have... Uh, one of our members was marching, uh, was going to march this year, and we possibly could have two members marching next year, depending upon what happens. Um, so yeah, it's it's something to look up to. We're never going to get to that uh, level, but we just want to try and push our members as much as possible while still enjoying what we do. As you heard from Hans earlier, U-Ball Drum Corps and ensembles around the world look to the US and make huge efforts to tour to the US and finals in Indianapolis. It's a huge part of their growth and can represent a mammoth landmark in their history as they take inspiration home with them that will last for years. This year was our plan to go to DCI, take the core to DCI, uh, compete in international class. 
I mean, the, the members are absolutely gutted. Um, but there's nothing anybody can do regarding it. We had already just finished learning all of the show. So the show for 2020 will be the show for 2021. Um, hopefully ourselves and all the other cores get through these hard times at the moment and are able to put a core out and we all get back together again. So we're always looking for, okay, what else can we do outside of Calgary to give the best experience possible? Sometimes it's a trip to, to California or Portland or Brazil or Japan or Europe. Um, and, you know, recently we've been able to add Indianapolis on that. And that that's so amazing. It checks so many boxes of what we're trying to do. We're trying to have these high quality performance opportunities, but also give the students a great experience. It really was a dream come true, even from before the performance, from the first moment that we walked up to Lucas Oil and we stood outside it, it was just such a buzz. I mean, our core is very, you know, we're a small core and we've built it together as a, as a family and as a team. Um, and everybody in it is very passionate about drum corps. So to be standing outside the Mecca of Lucas Oil Stadium was just such an amazing feeling, knowing that we were going to perform in there in a day or two. Um, when we got in on the field, it was, it was one of those moments of my life I'm just I'll never forget. A sincere thank you to all of my guests on this episode. Alan Thompson, Oshin Malloy, Leandro Pasquai, Ryan Hancock, Hans Kloppert, Andrew Dallison, my co-producer at Mallory Anderson, and a special thank you to John Denovi for all his support and work for the activity around the world. I know all of my guests on this episode agree. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not go and show your support for some of these international organisations, bands, drum corps on Facebook and Twitter and let them know how much you enjoy them and appreciate their efforts and hard work. Thank you as always to my friends at DCI for their support and encouragement with this project and thank you to everyone who has reached out with positive messages and helpful information. If you'd like to contact me, you can at keith at bandsofireland.com or on Facebook or Instagram at The Global Band Room. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please head over to dci.org and if you can, make a donation to the March On Fund or to your favourite core or sound sport team this summer. And until next time, March On. <laughs>